ever doubted whether music can really change your life, just how powerful can it be, I give you Verano, the Washington DC-based jazz trio that's been making waves up and down the jazz charts for the past 10 years. Verano the band consists of Lynn Verano on vocals, David Rosenblatt on lead guitar, and Ken Avis on rhythm guitar and backing vocals. They are often joined by an assortment of talented collaborators such as violin virtuoso David Klein and percussionist Bruno Lucini. The story behind Verano the band is pretty remarkable in and of itself. Lynn, Ken, and David all come from different countries. Lynn hails from outside of Montreal, Canada. Ken from northern England. While David is from the U.S., he grew up in Brazil learning how to play that samba music and learning how to speak fluent Portuguese and Spanish. When you hear them together, it's magical. The influences from the French music, from the English blues, and from the jazz samba just comes out in a whole different type of form. This episode of Four Songs is a little different than the others because typically we feature singer-songwriters who write and perform their own music. Jazz bands are different. They play standards, they reinterpret songs, and they might throw in some of their own music as well. And Verano does all of that. The band can play just about everything from jazz to samba to bossa nova to world music, whatever the hell that means. And they've been writing their own music too as the band has grown. In fact, this is their 10th year as a band. And if not for this pandemic, they'd be doing a number of anniversary shows around the D.C. area. But you can't talk about Verano the band without talking about Verano the real-life couple, and that's Lynn and Ken. And their story, well, that's the stuff of movies. I'll try to be brief here just to give you some background about both the band and the couple. As I mentioned, Lynn comes from French Canada, and Ken grew up in Northern England. Their real-life careers led them to Europe in the early 90s, where even though they were working full-time, music was their soul and their passion. They met on a whim at a music festival in Switzerland where a mutual friend introduced them and encouraged them to play some duets together. The die was cast, although it took a little while for it to really set in stone. In fact, Ken took a job in Washington, D.C. working for the World Bank while Lynn moved to California before sailing back in her native Canada. Throughout that time, they kept in touch, trying to collaborate as much as they can, but it was pretty hard to do that across different countries and different time zones and different languages. But as you'll find out, Lynn is just as comfortable singing Spanish, Italian, and English as she is in her native French. Eventually, the two figured it out, got married, started a family, but then they started a band too, and that's Verano. And the band's success was pretty immediate. Three of their first albums had hit the charts, and so they quickly quit their day jobs and started Verano full-time, touring not only here in Washington, but around the globe too. And so for this episode of Four Songs, we're going to be talking to Lynn and Ken about four of their more well-known songs two standards, and two originals. The first song we'll be talking about is La Mer, which is a, a French number written in the 1940s that became a, the staple of Lynn's youth growing up in French Canada. We'll then talk about their version of Sieto Lindo, which is a traditional Mexican number that you've probably heard a million times, either at a soccer match or at a bar, but you've probably never heard a version like theirs, which is stripped down and turned into a sultry lullaby that just blows you away when you hear it. And we're going to end it with two of their original songs called Song of Love and The Road. 
and it's the road that really summarizes their entire journey. And I'm very pleased and, and thrilled to welcome Lynn and Ken to Four Songs. So I think you're going to enjoy our conversation. Hey, Lynn. Hey, Ken. How you doing? Hi, we're doing great. This is the third episode of Four Songs, and I'm, I'm just really thrilled to have you guys on it. Uh, today, it's going to be a little different. A lot of the, the folks so far have been kind of more straight up singers, songwriters, but just given the type of music that you all play, you do a lot of standards and interpretations of song, which I'd like to explore that too. So we're going to be talking about two of your kind of more well-known standards along with two of your originals. Yeah. <laughs> and so when did the, the band start? 10 years ago. Yeah. This is our 10th anniversary. Mm -hmm. Wow. So we were planning some, we were planning some big concerts <laughs> <laughs> to celebrate the 10th yeah. anniversary. Um, we'd written some new music, some new arrangements. We had a two nights at Blues Alley mid-March with a completely new project with another band, the Dave Klein band, and written new material, arranged new material for that show. Um, we were calling the show the Come Together show because we're, we were yes. basically combining two bands. Yeah. It wasn't going to be an opening band and a following band. We combined two bands. And on that stage, we had musicians, two of us from Britain, one French-Canadian, uh, an Azerbaijani saxophone player, mm. a Senegalese bassist, a Nigerian drummer, a Colombian guitarist, I think that was it. Yeah. And we were thinking about a Brazilian percussionist in there as well, bringing Bruno in. Um, so it was like this massive international band that we'd been rehearsing for two months and then the gigs got cancelled. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, for, and with the regular band, uh, we were planning uh, September concerts at uh, Blues Alley. Uh, it's still a little bit up in the air. Yeah. It may still happen in one way or another. Um, you know, we just don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, so 10 years together and it's been it's been quite a ride mm -hmm. we uh we released four albums mm -hmm. uh three of these albums did really really well in the charts and uh we got gosh we got so much out of it we got we did festivals uh we ken toured. has been do, doing music documentaries we've been mm -hmm. touring uh yeah, it's been an amazing 10 years. Yeah, it's funny, with giving up the day job, some people say, oh, did you retire? And it's really, it's a career change because yeah. the, the amount of time we spend, and we, we thought we were just going to be recording and performing, um, but in reality, it's moved off in so many different directions, all to do with music, but things we never imagined we would have the uh, opportunity or the ability to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get to the music. We're going to be talking about four songs that you guys have recorded. Uh, two of them are the standards. Uh, we're going to start with La Mer and then go to Sia Tulindo, followed by your newer releases, Love and Surrender. We're going to talk about two of your originals, Song of Love and The Road. So let's first start out with La Mer, which is from your first album, Joy of Living. And when I, when I hear the song, it, it just takes me right to the beach. I mean, I, can, I just immediately transport it. And that, that's pretty rare for a song to kind of just take me immediately somewhere else. Is that what you're going for there? Or what was driving you to, to pick this song and to kind of do it the way you did it? Wow, that's, that's, so, that's so sweet. Can I ask you a question before I answer? Yeah. <laughs> Does it make you think of the Bobby Darren version? Well, I was familiar with it, but not really. I was going to ask about that later, but to me, that, that Bobby Darren's more like kind of big bandy. And this mm. is just, it just takes sure. me, to me, this takes me somewhere else. Thank you. 
gosh. I think you I think you found it. So the, the song is very contemplative. It's very it's very passive in a way. Uh, he's basically just observing his surroundings. He's in a train. Uh, the, he actually wrote the song, partially was inspired by a poem he wrote as a teenager. And then he sort of completed the lyrics on a train journey along the sea in the south of France, along the, the not the sea. Actually, no, it was a, a pond called the, the Tau Pond, T-H-A-U, uh, between Perpignan and I can't remember the other place. And it, it, is, it is just this uh, taking it in. You just appreciate what you see. And he's talking about the reflections of the ocean uh, being silvery reflections. You know, the, the, the caps, the white caps are like little sheep or are they angels because the horizon kind of blends into one another. And then it's a little more dreamy. He talks about a, a shepherdess who would be, who would be looking after this uh, infinite horizon. It's, hmm. it's very contemplative and yet very, very dreamy, extremely peaceful. You've got that very soft swing in there. So when I, like I say, when I hear that, I'm, I'm on the beach walking around with my wife, uh, going up and down and hear the waves. So yeah, it, it's very peaceful and that's, like I said, it just takes me right there. I mean, that's, that's magical, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and you know, it's a song I grew up with, you know, he wrote it, what, in 1943? It's a song that my, my mother loved and you would hear it a lot. You know, when I was growing up, it was just on the radio. Not that I was born in 1943, but <laughs> it was a classic from the time he released it, which was about three years later, 46. And then Darren had a huge hit with it in 56. And so it's really, it's probably, you know, after La Vie en Rose, I would say it is the second most popular French song. And at first it was, it did not, it didn't create much enthusiasm. It wasn't really, you know, swing music was big back then, American swing. So people were like, ah, it's cute. But part of the reason it was, he only recorded it about three years after finishing the tunes. And the way you sing it, it's, it's, it seems so effortless. It's just kind of between a whisper and kind of full on belt. But I know that it's not that easy. So I mean, how long have you been training to sing like that and just to make it sound like it's easy? Well, it's funny. It, it's not a very difficult song to sing. The arrangement has a little, you know, we spiced up the arrangement a little bit here and there to uh, bring a little bit more passionate element. The original arrangements has strings, so you feel the swell, you know, like the swell of the sea. Gosh, you know, I think 10 years later, I still sing it pretty much the same way. It's changed in one, in one aspect. <laughs> we, we, we have a, a live album that we recorded mm. at Lover Run in Arlington. You're right. And we were kind of alarmed when we, when we listened back to the recording. <laughs> in the original version, on the, like, on the Joie de Vie, we did have uh, Dave Klein playing violin, so he added that real gypsy yeah. jazz flair like so, to yeah. it. But what's been happening, and Lynn whistles on that song, and so we've had this kind of interplay between the two of them live, 
which has gotten longer and, and longer, longer and, and longer. longer. <laughs> it's like, it's not a duet, it's a duel that takes place there. Yes, it is. <laughs> and when, when we were putting this live album together, we realized that that version of it was over 10 minutes long. Wow. And so we kept the whole 10 minutes because it's become no. a core part. Is it, that long? it is, yeah, it's like 10 okay. minutes, 20 seconds. And so, so much of it is violin and, and whistling. And whistling. Um, but it really pulls the audience in as well. Yeah, so, uh, it's changed in that regard. That's, it's got longer that's and longer. very, very true. That <laughs> but is that's very jazz. True. We're allowed to do that. Yeah. <laughs> harder to, 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 to whistle like that and sing or is it you know there's a lot of people who can't whistle now that i whistle on stage so many people come to me and tell me how do you whistle i can't whistle i've been whistling my whole life i learned i was like four or five i remember very well learning it was the summer before kindergarten and in kindergarten i i would get locked up regularly for disturbing the class because I was whistling. Literally, they would lock me up in a closet. <laughs> uh, it hasn't stopped me from whistling. I don't know, I've always whistled. I love to whistle when I walk and, and it's, it's been a part of my life. I think people used to whistle. Now people maybe don't do that so much anymore. Probably just horrified Rob's audience at the thought of little kids being locked <laughs> up. But remember, remember this was true. the nuns in a French yeah. convent probably. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the reason they're, the reason I whistle is kind of accidental. For, on the recording, there's a lot of downtime when you're recording. You're just waiting around, a lot of waiting around. And I'm alone in the, uh, in the vocal booth and I can't really see anybody. I don't know what they're doing. They're doing stuff. And then I'm just kind of whistling to myself. And it ended up being recorded. And listening back, we kind of liked it and decided from there I would do it in the show. So the second song comes from the same album. This was Sieto Lindo. And yeah, this is a well-known Mexican ranchera. Well, mariachi bands play all over the world. It's mm -hmm. very songy, kind of upbeat, but you guys just completely transform it to a completely different sound, kind of very haunting, kind of like a sultry lullaby. Mm -hmm. what, what drew you to this song, and then what drew you to this version of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you're absolutely right about the origins of the song. It goes back so far, and the beauty of it is I think it's the only song we've ever done a cover of an, on an album that we haven't had to pay royalties for because <laughs> it's out of copyright. It was written in 1882 in Mexico by Quirino Mendoza y Cortez. It's really passed down as a traditional song now, but it was very much related to the Mexican Revolution. That's when it became popular. And it's a very, very romantic song. And the, the Sierra Morena, the mountains that are talked about in the lyrics there, were always connected to bandits and seen as a hideout. So it was a hideout for revolutionaries. And I think that's part of the reason uh, it became connected to the Mexican Revolution. At its core, I think it is kind of a, a love song and a lullaby. It's very, very romantic lyrics. You know, they're talking about, I've seen a translation, if your sweet mouth was made of sugar, I would spend my time on a sugar high. 
and things like that. I mean, it's just very poetic and very beautiful. But then it passed into that mariachi phase and it was kind of the barroom sing-along song and, right. and it's the song that at the Mexican soccer games, the international soccer games, the, the yeah. entire arena mm-hmm. would sing this song. But we kind of really took it back to that lullaby sense, that real gentle sense. And in our arrangement, we only had just acoustic guitar and vocal, nothing else. We kept it totally pure mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. did it that way. And Cielito Lindo had another kind of layer of, of that impact to it, performing it live, because typically in the kitchens of the restaurants and bars and venues you play in, there might be a lot of Latin American guys working. And we literally used to see them coming out of the kitchen when we played that and stopping working wow. for a while. Yeah. And peering through the little circular window. <laughs> so it had a big impact and people would come up to us afterwards, you know, particularly Latin Americans would come and say, tell us stories about what that song meant to them and how they'd so, had it. So while the, while the lullaby version is not very common here, it's not that uncommon in South America. I've had friends tell us, yeah, my, my grandma used to sing it as a lullaby. My mother used to sing it as a lullaby. It's been, it's been a big part of our lives too because our youngest used to love that song. So that was our bedtime oh. song. Oh, okay. And uh, I, would, I would sing it to him at bedtime until, until the day we recorded it. Then I got really lazy and I would just play it for him. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite band I listened to as a kid was The Clash. I loved them and still do. And this is, you're wondering, where, where are you going with this? So there's this box set that came out in the early 90s. I had to get it. I, and it had a bunch of some rarities. And one of them was Mick Jones, who I think is one of the most underrated musicians and songwriters out there. Um, he did a cover of this old Motown song called Every Little Bit Hurts. It's not that well known, but I had never heard it. And... I listened to this version of it. It's just Mick singing. He's got a, the, the band that had, that they knew how to play it. And a couple of years later, I came across an interview CD that went along with that box set. And Joe Strummer is talking about how he, why he picked that song to put on there. And he said, cause you know, Joe doesn't sing on it, but he said, when I heard Mick sing it, cause Mick doesn't really have a very emotional voice, but he said, you know, he got the band and, and he just sang this song. Like his life was depending on it. And it was such a heartbreak in his voice. And Joe said something to the point, like, you know, he felt every bit of those lyrics. And that's mm-hmm. why I feel like when I'm, especially when I get to the, the chorus of, of um, your version of, Lewis, of this song, I feel like you're telling more than just this lullaby. Like, I feel like there's more to it. There's such more emotion. Is, is that, when you play it, do you kind of feel that too? When you're that? I do. It's really tender. Cielito lindo means, you know, roughly heavenly one. And so in the context 
of my son having a small child in your in your arms and 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 very very much in my heart uh yes calling him cielito lindo heavenly one i could not get more emotional than that it feels mm. just so enveloping i'm i'm really happy that he also connected with the song yeah so it's a, it's a special song it's a special song for us How long did it take you to kind of settle on this arrangement for this version? Hmm. It was pretty immediate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Again, uh, you know, there's a lot of beauty and in, in simplicity. It's not a complex song at all, and that's that's the that's the beauty of folk music in general, right? It, it goes to the ages because anybody can sing it and anybody can play it, and yeah, I I think. It was simple and we were like, oh, I really like that. And it's got an element of surprise because people feel, wait, I think I know that song. It's only when you get mm -hmm. to, ah, here, 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 people say, oh, yeah. So before we're going to talk about your originals, but before we get there, you know, the first song was sung in French, the song was sung in Spanish. Do you have a favorite language in which you sing in? I, I like to explore. I love languages, so I love to explore that as much as I can. Uh, I love to sing in French and English. Uh, obviously, that's definitely easier than Portuguese or or Italian, actually, Portuguese is definitely the hardest for me. <laughs> it sounds like French. It's not hard, super hard to pronounce. It's just, it's just a language I don't really know, and I will want to study more. It's the way the phrases are turned are so uh, different, and of course, we've done a lot of Brazilian music, and 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 not enough in many ways. So there's the rhythmic feel of Brazilian music is so different than anything else. So I do really, really enjoy that. Okay. Yeah. It's strange. I mean, in a way, the band, when we put the band together, it's, it, uh, as, as band should, it was a synergy of the best of what all of us bring to offer. Because yeah. it was at the core, it was a trio with Lynn and I and David Rosenblatt. And David really brought the Brazilian influence mm. in because he grew up in Brazil. Mm and uh, he's fluent in Portuguese. And Spanish. And Spanish. And we became known as this, despite the fact that the first album is all over there with French, English, right. Spanish tunes. We became known as a Brazilian band from our second album, which was devoted to uh, samba and bossa nova music. Mm -hmm. And 
You know, we, we love that and it's part of what we are, but it's not all of what we are. And so over the past few years, we've kind of moved into the different directions with the original compositions, okay. but also we, we kind of expanded our repertoire. You, you know, the thing is, and, and I'd like to mention that, is that the band decided that we would not be confined or defined by exterior uh, demands or, or, or vision, but it really was about doing the music that we wanted to do. It didn't really matter whether it came from traditional Mexican background or a gypsy background or a Brazilian background. If the music spoke to us and, and the words, the lyrics spoke to me, it was like, yeah, let's do it. And we would give it just the treatment that we do every song, you know, the two acoustic guitars as the base for our, for our sound. And then everything else builds around that. So we didn't want to say, okay, but I got to do the jazz trio thing. And this is what the jazz trios do. We really wanted to explore who we are as musicians. And that brings us also a few years down the line where we're pushing ourselves to uh, write more and more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good transition because I wanted to, to ask when you are writing those songs, I mean, does it, is it one or two of you or do you have like, this is my idea, I want to take it here or is it just kind of come naturally when you're just rehearsing? It's a combination of things. So I think for the most part, it's Ken and David who compose and they kind of compose separately and then bring it to the band. And there's one song, Song of Love, which is a, a collaboration where it came, you came up with the rhythm. I came up with the, the, the melodic structure and the melodic chords structure. and so on, which I was very, very proud of. I loved it. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And David wrote the lyrics and I, I call myself the editor. <laughs> so uh, whenever music comes to me, uh, lyrics, I just work on the words to make sure that they work for singers. And uh, there's, uh, the words are so, so, so important. The, the people got to feel the words. They got to feel real. They have to feel real to me mm -hmm. and so that I can convey the meaning. I'm going to play the first, the first beginning of Song of Love. This is from your newest album, Love and Surrender. Oh, believe me, you'll be all right. Please free me. We wouldn't die this love was fake Those dreams are sad mistake Take all my regrets and trash Those cheap vignettes, those puppy sighs And forever batting eyes Then again you had some charm Maybe not, but you did no harm How about you get a second? Yeah, that is catchy. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you sing this a little differently too. Yes, it is. I've been trying to do more of the real jazzy jazz stuff. I've been doing more scatting. And the energy of that song in particular is very different from a lot of our songs. So it really had that funky feel and that in-your-face feel, which is a really good fit for the song. The song itself, although it's called Song of Love, it's really... Uh, it's a, a song of breakup, isn't it, really? Yeah. It's... <laughs> It's the turmoil of love, you know, yeah. uh, like this may not be a great relationship and I should end it, but really I can't let go because that's the only relationship I got. It's a mess in my head. And so I wanted that 
energy to come through in in the performance it's a really high energy because you can't you can't settle on anything so mm. that's why it's a little bit more in your face this, the way it's structured as well is what I wrote uh, came out as a, an A section and a B section, like a verse and a chorus. Mm-hmm. There's no middle A to search or anything of that kind. There's no bridge. And so the, the A section is pure funk. You know, often it's difficult to have Bruno with us for every gig. Drummers who make a living at drumming take whatever gigs are available. Mm-hmm. And if we have another drummer come in and they're struggling to get that tempo or something <laughs> at the beginning, I say, think Shaka Khan. And, and they get, okay, and, cha, mm, mm, cha, and they're going on it. But then the B section is samba. Mm-hmm. So they've got to switch from that funk 4-4 rhythm to a samba, which is kind of a crooked rhythm. And lyrically, when you look at it, the, the, the A sections are all, they're all the kind of really, this is not working, this is awful, this is... You know, this was a fake love. It wasn't a real one. The dreams were a mistake. Trash those cheap vignettes. And then the B section is, yeah, you know, but then again, on the other hand. It wasn't maybe, that bad. Wasn't that bad. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we can come to some kind of an agreement on this. Yeah. And then it goes back into the No, it doesn't. It doesn't. The then it's regrets. <laughs> then it's, then he's totally regretting, you know, don't leave me. I know it's wrong, but mm. I've been complaining for so long, you know. I think stylistically, lyrically, it's an unusual song. Mm-hmm. It's not the kind of song that people uh, expect from us. Initially, like 10 years ago, most of our music was pretty romantic. And uh, now I think we've, we've, uh, we've grown a little bit. So even though so you didn't grow up playing this kind of music, how hard is it to write when something that you didn't, that you had to be trained on? You know, I, I grew up really listening to acoustic music, blues music, I and mean, blues is still really my first love. Um, so really the three and four chord songs that I grew up on and actually counted there are nearly 20 chords in that song You know, that's so far away from the three chords and the truth that it's unimaginable And it's one of those moments when as a guitar player just sitting around Fiddling with things trying things out not trying to write a song as such and The a section just fell into place, you know that descending chordal line and then um, It took a little bit longer to think of well you know it's got to go somewhere i can't just repeat that for three minutes um and then the samba thing came in so i was happy the samba bit is a very basic samba just kind of alternating between a couple of chords really but then coming out of the samba where it climbs back into the verse that was pretty clever and when i listened to it i think wow that's that's what a horn section would play if we had a horn section in there that that ascending line But there's basically throughout the entire song, every single beat is a different chord. It's, it's not that I learned to do that stuff. I think I've just been playing 
more in that jazz style for 10, 12 years now. Mm. And my hands are falling into those chords. But when I actually invented something and came up with something, I was, I was, I remember sitting at the dining room table saying, Lynn, Lynn, listen to this, listen to this. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, for 30, 40 minutes at a time. <laughs> so uh, you all have been very generous with your time. We have one more song and I think we're kind of hitting, hinting at it. You know, you say your, your older stuff was kind of romantic and now the road, uh, which I kind of feel like is just an acknowledgement, just, hey, we're in this together kind of thing. We don't know where it's going to go, but. Yeah. And again, as catchy as it gets, I mean, just right off the top. Who knows where this road is leading? You can be sure that I'll be there if you're lost or lonely, heard or needing call me. I'll be there. Yeah, this one's written from experience. This was, this was basically me talking to Lynn. <laughs> I was pleading my case to her. Um, you know, it's that, that point. Lynn told you the story of, of us meeting and then being in different countries and then gradually coming together again. Again, we couldn't have imagined where our road was taking us because it took us to America, which as I say, I'd never anticipated going to or expected mm -hmm. to go to uh, neither Adeline and she ended up on the other end of America and then back to Canada mm. and at the time when we wrote it you know we were both coming out of relationship who knew where the road was leading all you could do was you know see where the fates would take you and so it's a very true to life song for me and uh, th there are lines in there which are very specific to the life that I've had Knows where this love will take us, or it's hard to sell that the four winds blow. No have a plan or a destination, no guarantees when we're there we'll know. People spend their lives in the same location, taking the wrong turn is what we fear. If you're afraid we may hit our phones, boy, I'll be the one. People used to call me a job slut because um, I would, anytime somebody offered me a job, I would take the job. I would never say no. And, uh, and that's what sent me off traveling around the world with, with work. And when you do that, there are no guarantees. You never know there's a job waiting back for you if you want to go back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You don't know where you're going to end up. And it struck me that when I was working in that kind of expatriate lifestyle, most people don't do that. Normal people don't do that. In fact, a lot of the time, they want people to do would that. People discourage you, right? Well, yeah. And a lot of people say, oh, you're so lucky. Imagine doing that. And then you say, hey, do you want to do it? There's a job. And they go, well, you know, it's not the right time for me at the moment because my kids are in school or my wife's just got this other job or whatever. And, and so that line, people spend their lives in the same location, taking the wrong turn is what they fear. But... Uh, I'd, I've just been on this kind of boat cast adrift for many years. I never, ever expected to leave the north of England, you know, let alone live in these different countries. And I'm very happy. It's turned out well for me. You know, I did let, <laughs> I did raise up the sail and let the four winds blow. <laughs> They've blown me all over the world and I'm, I'm grateful for it. I think I could have had an equally 
interest in life had I not done that. One little phrase in there, which I, I didn't know it was a different thing in England than America, but I talk about the neighborhood love yeah. takeaway. And it only a few times after playing it live did somebody say, what love takeaway, what's that? And we had to explain. We realize it's a carryout in America. Yeah, takeaway food. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> takeaway food in England. So there's yeah. a little bit of me in there. <laughs> I'll be your friendly neighborhood love takeaway. Put in your order that's nothing to pay. One taste and you'll be coming back for more. Won't leave you hungry. Oh, no, no, that's for sure. That's for sure. One thing I really like about your, your writing is you, there's enough room, it seems like, for everybody. There's a singing, but, you know, the songs, like you, you were talking earlier about the, the duel between the whistling and the violin playing, but here you have the guitar playing, the singing, and the violin. You, there's room for everyone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Exactly. Like I, that's, that's very much what happens in our show. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, though, because, again, that's the little bit of the jazz influence. Um, you know, everybody goes around the bandstand and does a solo, but we try not to do that. We try to make it a range. We try to keep the show as entertaining as possible to everybody. And I think one of the compliments I've most appreciated was a couple of times people have said, I didn't really want to come to this show tonight. I don't really like jazz, but my wife made me come. <laughs> but I like you. I like what you're doing. You know, we, we try to keep things changing up all the time. When we're designing a set list, we'll make sure we don't put two French songs together unless it's an all French show. We vary the languages, we vary the instrumentation. The, the thing that's really been amazing to me is that we've had lots of folks embrace that. Uh, venues embrace it. The, the, the Blues Alley Club, where typically we appear like four, three to four times a year, uh, is I would say a big fan of of the band and what we do and the way we do it. They are thinking beyond the ticket sales, also thinking of the spirit of the band, where we are inclusive and we're we're kind of a, a family and we want to be part of the music scene, which is growing here right now. It's been exploding over the past five years. Uh, you know, venues who understand that will go out on a limb and give a new band a spot, a nice spot in a nice club. And that helps you grow as an artist. And all of these actors in that scene come together to help you build your, your scene, to help you build your, your musicianship. Because if you play a really good room, I tell you, you become a better musician. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, well, again, I really appreciate your, your time tonight. You've been very generous with it. Oh, I know we're in a pandemic, so it'd be hard to, to answer this question, but what is next? I mean, you had some anniversary shows. Hopefully, we'll see what happens. But Absolutely, every one of us wants to get back to normal as quickly as possible and as safely as possible. So we need to rethink how we do that. Mm -hmm. um, it, it'll be, I think, staggered, and it'll be uh, a variety of medium. I know, personally, I'm not comfortable going back to sing in a club right. this summer. And I wouldn't want to put myself at risk, my band at risk, and, and the audience at risk. And the servers as and well. The, They're part of it as yeah, well. Yeah, <laughs> the people who yeah. work the club, you know, your technicians, your, yeah. your, your waiters. Uh, One thing that I hope comes out of it, because I've really enjoyed it, is this concept of 
community music, you know, where people yeah. who don't normally present music, householders, your neighbors are saying, yeah. I want to bring music to my, to the cul-de-sac on my street. Yeah. You know, you can't put a five piece band there because financially it doesn't work if the musicians are, are doing this for a living, but you can put a duo or a trio there and it's incredibly enjoyable. And for a long, long time, I've been saying to people, I want to take music to where the people are, not bring the people to where the music is. Yeah. Right. Um, but if people wanted to contact you guys to do what you're talking about, how would they do that? Uh, well, they can go to our website, vironomusic.com, uh, and uh, info at vironomusic is the uh, email to get in touch with us. And, of course, we're on, uh, we're on social media, so you can also, uh, you know, ping us over there. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you both for, for doing this with me. This has been a great discussion. I really appreciate it. And you've been very thank generous you. with your time. Oh, thank you so much for having yeah, us. This was you. a lot of fun.